All right, time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. And good morning, Simi. Uh, you're probably in awe of how enlightened the <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has become toward the role of women in generating yeah. rock music. You could say that. You heard me talking about the Go-Go's, I take it. What has taken them so long to put the Go-Go's in the well, Hall of Fame? Well, you know, let's be honest about the history of rock and roll. It wasn't exactly gender-balanced for a long time. Uh, you only need to go back to old Rolling Stones lyrics or That's Led true. Zeppelin's relationship with groupies to realize that there's an awful lot of baggage back there. I I uh, wonderful news for the Go Go's uh, has taken a while. Um, I actually was surprised listening to you this morning. I thought, isn't Carol King already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, yes, as a songwriter, but right. Tapestry is one of the best-selling albums of all time when it came out, and. Um, Tina Turner was in right. there too, but with but under Ike. Ike is, yes, yeah, but that's kind of insulting it if is. you know the relationship between her and Ike. Um, if you've seen the movie, um, did you watch the documentary? By the way, the... no, I didn't. No, oh, but I mean, she should have been there a long time ago too. So, uh, yeah. it's taken a while. I mean, they did write the rules for the Hall of Fame that you got to wait twenty-five years, and they did that to you know allow some perspective, but. Even allowing for that, hey, Simi, maybe there's still hope for Fanny. Uh, look them up. <laughs> Fifty years ago, uh, they were called an all-girl band back when that was done. But uh, there's a lobby group out there to say, hey, Penny, Fanny, are the real pioneers. Let's get them into. Uh, let's get them into. So maybe there's hope for them. Oh, look at this! They were one of the first female all all female rock groups yeah. to uh, to get hit the Billboard uh, Hot yeah. 100. And and a fabulous sense of humor. They called one of their albums. Fanny Hill. <laughs> I love it. I love Okay, I'm going to have to look this up. So, yes, we could probably go on and on and on about that because I was shocked. T Tina Turner and the Go-Go's, and yet the two other, like the Foo Fighters and Jay-Z, are a lot more recent than Tina yes. Turner and the Go-Go's, yeah, no, right? that's, you know, again, uh, we could go on, but that that is one of the characteristics of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that, uh, you know, men and so forth tend to go in the first time they're nominated, uh, big rock bands, as maybe they should, you know, because it's 25 years. But uh, there's been a lag. Uh, perhaps that lag will be corrected in the years ahead. We shall see. We shall see. All right, let's talk some politics here. I tell you, listening to the sick pay announcement yesterday, I thought, okay, well, one, great, finally. Two, this is what took so long? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I found the whole thing underwhelming. John Horgan will tell you, uh, given half a chance, uh, that he is one of the pioneers in calling for uh, paid sick leave for Canadian workers. He says, you know, he's been pushing that. He was the first premier to push it. But, you know, that raises the question, which is, you've been talking about it for over a year. The pandemic, listening to John Horgan, is almost over. And we're finally getting paid sick leave for uh, workers who aren't covered through their labor contracts. Um, and then we're getting three days, which, you know, that enlightened trade unionist Doug Ford of Ontario announced weeks ago. I, it, was a, it was a really contradictory press conference yesterday, Simi, because when you asked John Horgan why it took so long, he said, well, you know, Ottawa, I'm really disappointed with Ottawa. You know, I've been lobbying them, lobbying, lobbying them, and they brought in this inadequate plan, and they didn't do anything about it, so finally I had to step in. 
Okay. All right. You're stepping in premier. So why only three days, which doesn't begin to cover even a 10-day COVID-19 leave from work, if you've got it, or if you're told to self-isolate? John Horgan's comeback on that was, well, you know, there's the federal program. We'll just bridge to that. So your solution <laughs> is to bridge to the inadequate federal program that you called one of the biggest disappointments of your time in office, and that's your cover story? I, the whole thing was just, as I said, very underwhelming. Yeah, I feel that way, too. That, that like, What is their excuse for that? Well, I think the excuse for it is that these programs are very, very expensive. Uh, the The number that came out yesterday, so this is a program that will go, what, about seven months. It goes, they're legislating it this month, so say it takes effect in June, it goes to the end of the year. They estimate the take-up, because the province is paying for the cost, right? They're not sticking employers with right. the bill. Employers have to give people three days sick leave. But the province is picking up the tab. The estimated tab is $300 million. So that's $100 million for each day leave, and only with a take-up over seven months when the pandemic is almost over. So, you know, you haul out the pocket calculator and you go, what if they provided coverage for, say, 10 days, which is what the labor movement was asking right. for? You got a billion-dollar price tag. So I think that's why they did it this way. It's just uh, very, very expensive to do this. And tucked inside this legislation, Simi, they talked about this yesterday, we're going to get a permanent plan in B.C. starting January the 1st, 2022. Hmm. Uh, they're going to consult with employers on it, but it's apparent that they are going to stick employers with the bill for that. So we're looking at, again, I say the $300 million is just for three days and just for seven months. That program that they're talking about, someone's going to have to pick up the tab, and I'm guessing the plan, the cost will be you know, between $1 and $2 billion. So <laughs> that's still to come. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the reaction of the business community in these consultations. Okay, more to come on that. But let's talk a little bit more about this whole electoral redistribution thing. So this seems to have really hit a nerve with the opposition. Yeah, the Liberals are very, very upset. So the government is going to redistribute the legislature, as happens every 10 years or so, to reflect changing population. And we know where the province is growing. It's growing mainly in and around Metro Vancouver, some on Vancouver Island, some in the Fraser Valley, some in uh, the Okanagan. And the result is going to be that Again, a shift in representation. The Liberals are very, very upset. They created protected enclaves in the province with their last distribution, Simi. There are three parts of the province, the north, the Kootenays, and the central interior. The Boundary Commission wasn't allowed to reduce representation there. Well, almost half of the current B.C. Liberal caucus, because they're reduced in numbers after the election, almost half is in those three protected enclaves, and the NDP is stripping away the protection. So the Liberals uh, feel threatened. Uh, they probably should, but really, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, elections should be decided on where the votes are, and the province is growing, and yes, there should be some allowance for how hard it is to represent big spread-out ridings, but really the challenge here for the Liberals is... Uh, 
This bill is going to allow the addition of six more MLAs. Those MLAs will be in the places where the Liberals used to be strong, in and around Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley, but where the New Democrats are now strong. So it's a wake-up call for the Liberals. They can complain all they want, but in the long run, if they can't figure out how to beat the NDP in the places where the population is growing, um, they're not going to come back into government. Yeah, exactly. Because like on the surface of it, you look at this and you're thinking, okay, well, they're trying to make the ridings more equal so that yeah. they're kind of population-wise, they're of similar size, which makes sense. Yeah, it is. And look, the Canadian courts have recognized that in Canada, a spread out country where it's tough to represent rural and remote areas, there has to be some allowance. The rule is you can depart from the average population plus or minus 25%, which is a lot of leeway. Yeah. But BC has seats that, that depart from the, that are less, much less than 25%. We've got one seat in the province that's 61% under the average, held by the NDP, mind you, not the Liberals. So, yeah, there's got to be some recognition. It's got to stay within that court guideline. And I think this commission will do that. There may be yeah. a few examples, a few exemptions, but you're not going to get 16 seats, 17 seats on the protected list, 17 seats, 13 of which are held by the B.C. Liberals. I just think that's going to come to an end and uh, the Liberals feel targeted. Uh, they are in a way, but I still think, you know, uh, some Liberals have been saying the party needed to face up to its uh, the fact that it's getting beaten in the parts of the province that are growing, the parts of the province that are more diverse, the parts of the province that are more urban and multicultural and younger. Yeah. And that's what this is a wake-up call for you, folks. Uh, the new world is here, and if you can't figure out how to reach out to it, way the NDP did, um, you're not going to be a majority government again. Yeah, that's an interesting note. All right, thanks, Vaughn. Bye-bye, Cindy.